0: Hello, and welcome to Out to Lunch, where I chat to fascinating people at some of the hottest restaurants in town. My guest today is an Indian comedian who swapped the high-stakes arena of investment banking for the equally vertiginous world of stand-up. Her first show, Sandhog, now on Amazon Prime, was nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Festival. She's appeared on Live at the Apollo QI, and Have I Got News for You. As well as radio shows and podcasts, she's moved into acting, with roles in Mae Martin's Feel Good, Rose Matafeo's Starstruck, Sex Education, and the forthcoming movie adaptation of Matilda alongside Emma Thompson and Lashana Lynch. Today, we talk about the freeing effects of vodka, being booed off stage in your own city, and what it's like having five degrees. It's the omni-talented Sindhu V. I've
1: been booed off stage in India. I died on stage, 300 people telling me to fuck off back where you came from. I'm like, what? I'm literally from this city. (laughs)
0: So today I'm standing on West Street, just off Cambridge Circus, and I'm by a restaurant called Louis London. Um, it belongs to a chef called Slade Rushing. Fantastic name. Uh, Slade Rushing is from Louisiana, and unsurprisingly, therefore, Louis London does the food of New Orleans, which is great because that's a lot of seafood, and Sindhu V is so Seems like the perfect place to take her. Let's go inside. Hello. Come on in. Thank you. We have the whole restaurant to ourselves.
1: Yes, Google Maps wanted me to make sure that I understood that this place was closed, and what was I doing? I was like, chill out. I know what I'm doing.
0: Really? <laughs> well, you
1: know, when Google
0: Maps gets passive-aggressive with you, or just aggressive...
1: Aggressive, yeah, but, I mean, in, in, but, you know, it's always, it may be closed. I'm like, lady, I know it's fine. Just, just tell me how to get there, OK? <laughs> I don't need all the other
0: stuff. Well, it it is true that Louis is normally closed on Mondays when we're recording, but for for you... Not for you, No, for you, Cindy, (laughs) they have opened.
1: That's very kind. Thank you. Uh,
0: This is Clinton, who will be uh, serving us today. Hey, Clinton. Before we get into the menu, I have to ask you, you live, obviously, the rock and roll lifestyle of um, a high-ranking comedian. Um, And that brings with it, you know, certain things including i believe you have your own dealer
1: oh yeah mangoes yeah a mango dealer i know a guy who knows a guy what happened was in covid i found out through my network that there was this gentleman in 2020 who was like i've suddenly got all these mangoes and i can't send them anywhere else i started buying between 10 and 12 boxes a week and sending them to friends I eat a lot of mangoes. I well, I was
0: going to say that that's that's a quite significant mango habit, isn't it? It's huge. So, and do you feel it, just it's went out of control,
1: or no? You can you can deal with it. I could deal with it. I had four mangoes for dinner yesterday. Four. Hmm.
0: Okay. Well, uh, let's have a look at the menu because I can guarantee that the one thing there's nothing of is mangoes.
1: No, I I actually had mangoes yesterday. I'm going to have mangoes tomorrow, and because my deliveries are on a Friday, Jay. So
0: on a Friday. Do you have to meet him on a street corner or something. No, no, he no, comes you over. Give him he... cash. Right, okay. I can recommend the pecans.
1: You can rec- I'm going to have a pecan. I know what I'm having.
0: What are you going to have?
1: I'm going to have the fresh heart of palm with a bunch of stuff. Yep. And the.
0: Shaved fennel, marinated tomato, citrus vinaigrette.
1: All that. And yep. I'm having the roasted sea bass with wilted kale, baby beetroot, horseradish, and the French thing, which I can't pronounce. Beau blanc. There you go. Brilliant. And no salad, no green salad and all that business. No, no, really, uh-uh.
0: why would you ruin things like that? And, Clinton, I will have the crab cakes and the gumbo. No drinking at this stage.
1: No drinking at this stage. Oh, do you want to drink? I really shouldn't.
0: That wasn't the question.
1: But of course I will. Um, I don't drink wine, so what can we do that's not wine?
0: I can do it on an alcoholic cocktail for you if you would like.
1: Something that's, like... I don't know. Grapefruit juice and vodka? Yeah.
0: Grapefruit juice and vodka? Yeah. Hilarious. You I mean, say, so I don't do wine. I'm saying, oh, so she's tea No, she's just No, I don't re-work. drink
1: wine. I drink liquor.
0: Okay. And I'll have a glass of... Um, <laughs> because it's, you know, noon on Monday. Exactly. I'll have a glass of the Gabby de Gabby, please.
1: And also vodka makes me tell the truth. I should have said gin. Oh, does it? I, it's terrible. I went to a dinner party once and had a double vodka. I was sitting next to a gentleman who was a friend, not a close friend, but, you know, wider group, and he said something. And I said, you know, it's because you I said to him, have you ever thought about how you treat your wife? He got up and left, and my husband's like, what do you say to him? I'm like, I drank vodka, which I was right. He wasn't very polite to his wife, but it was not something I had to say. Then I didn't drink vodka for eight years, Jay. Eight Eight years. years. What what
0: specifically, because you had associated with being being candid with this friend.
1: Yeah, but you know, candid is fine, but being, saying the truth for no good reason. It was a dinner party. I could have kept my mouth shut. But I've come back to vodka. Let's see how this goes. Well, let's
0: see how this goes. I'll I'll save the more sensitive and, you know, plunging questions for the moment (laughs) the drinks arrive. I am interested in your career as an investment banker, Mm -hmm. the whole hedge fund thing, because the the narrative is she was a banker, Mm. then she had kids, and then she became a comedian. And it's all sort of domestic. Mm -hmm. It surely wasn't easy to get into Barclays Capital.
1: No, not for me, because I didn't have an MBA. I was doing a PhD in philosophy that I quit,
0: quit, so no. Very briefly, this always amuses me. What was the title of your PhD? The
1: Ideational Basis of the Indian State.
0: So the underpinnings, the philosophical underpinnings of the Indian State.
1: Democracy in India is not like democracy elsewhere. And why is that? But it was so boring. It was taking so
0: long. So how do you go from to not finish PhD to investment banking?
1: So I went from I don't want to finish this PhD to how do I have something to show when I go back to India?
0: To just your parents or to the whole community?
1: To my parents.
0: Yeah. Very briefly, your mother is a therapist?
1: She was a therapist, yes. And your father? He was a civil servant. Right. I had a set of good degrees and I'd been to university here and, you know... And then some people said, well, you know, there's these research departments in, in banks. They just need like... Analysts. Not even analysts. Like they just, they're, they're hiring people who are kind of scholarly type. So I applied to them and a bunch of banks gave me interviews. And they were all at a sort of... Thank you so much, Newton. That's um, the
0: grapefruit with vodka. Which I'm going to sip, serum.
1: So, sip so slowly. That is where I learned that raw talent... Counts for something. My raw talent was talking. Have you, have you, have you figured that out? So one of I'm the- I'm not se- saying anything,
0: I'm just letting you go.
1: One of the senior bosses, she was in sales. She plucked me right out of research and said, you're gonna sell bonds. I didn't know what that meant. She said, pick up the phone, you're gonna sell bonds. She's an incredible boss, Philippa Toptani. And that was it.
0: Were you any good at it?
1: I was reasonable at it. I was very good at getting clients to do what I wanted ultimately. Which is what a good bond salesperson is. So, we've got the heart palm
0: here. So, it's very traditional with the, the,
1: the Creole flavors. Amazing. And also, the crab, Louisiana style crab cake. A little bit of a twist. It's got a truffle underneath. Absolutely incredible.
0: Brilliant. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Clint.
0: But your comedy is not about any of that.
1: Oh. No. Well, at least, not yet. There you go. <laughs> it's still such, such early days but I only talk on stage about what is on my mind.
0: Well, I I watched the very first set you ever did. Oh, God. The 2012. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it come at the end of a workshop that you'd done? Is that right?
1: Yeah, 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 Funny Women.
0: Funny Women. And that heat. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting, in the first minute or two, you were a little bit nervous and not quite there.
1: That was the first time I'd been on stage. I'd never seen live stand-up at that stage.
0: So what in God's name possessed you to do this?
1: This woman sent an email saying she's doing stand-up for charity. So I read the whole email. I never read emails like this, you know, give me money because I'm running a marathon. Dude, you run the marathon. What do you want from me? Just ask me to give to the charity. Don't do this weird dance with your marathon. I don't care. But anyway, read to the end. Then there was something, there, funny women. I clicked on it. They said, you know, we're, do you think you're funny? We're doing a workshop. And the workshop was that day. And it was a Saturday and I was like, I'm bored. Like I just, it was such a-
0: You were that bored that on-, on I was that
1: desperate. I thought, am I going to live in India? Like, I was having a huge moment of being like, wait, what are the boundaries of who I am and what I'm doing? And then along comes this email, and I'm like, oh, seven pounds, come along. I was like, yeah, fine, fuck it, let's do it. And then at the end of it, we all were asked to say something, and, you know, it was kind of a workshop. I mean, I've been in group therapy, thanks to my mom. And it was like group therapy. They what, all- she paid
0: for it, or did no, she, she encouraged it?
1: <laughs> no, she was a therapist, and when she was training in the U.S., she didn't want me to be alone in India at the age of 18. So she got me to the U.S., she was working and tra- training, but she couldn't leave me loose. So she stuck me in a 28-day rehab program and said to her friends, "Just put her in the group." I, you know, and they said, "Okay." Uh, hang, 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 Can we step back a second? So I was in a group with. Put recovering you in a alco- 20.
0: Uh, 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 were yeah. you in recovery? Is there anything you need to recover from? Never from drunk, I never drunk. I never had
1: drunk alcohol. I was in a group with people who were from the prison system. Say hello. I'm an alcoholic. My name is whatever Sue. And I was like, I am from India. I don't. Uh, my mother's training in the next room. They were like, okay. It was so chill. I learned so much about addiction, holy heck. Anyway, so we had this thing that day. The two organizers came to me and said, you're very funny, you should enter our awards. I was like, no thanks, I like I need to go home. And for weeks they emailed, they wrote, they even texted and said, you should come, you should come. And then finally, I went off to India, it was holidays, I took my children back home. And then when I landed in Heathrow, I turned on my phone and there was a message from one of them and saying, "Oh, the, the last heats are at the end of this week, why don't you just come? And I thought, you know what, fuck it, let's do it. And then on the day, I was they sent an email saying, make sure you bring a friend who will clap. And I thought, oh, I showed up with my friend and I was like, what is this? And she, she's American, she's like, this is a gig. I was like, what? She said, well, you got to do it, now you're here. And then I watched what other people were doing and I remember Lynn Parker, who runs Funny Women said, make sure you, you're, it's a five minute set. And I put my hand up and I said, set of what? And she thought, ha, ha ha ha, you're so funny. I thought, oh shit, I better. And then I watched the four or five people who went in front of me and I thought, okay, just get, get on stage, take the microphone and tell us." If you look in the video, I never moved the stand. I didn't even know that was a, that was a thing. The first laugh was all it took. I was like, okay, so- someone's laughing. But what happened is I went straight to the semifinal. That was it, the heats, and then everyone voted.
0: So you do this, and and, and as I, I say, in the first minute and a half, you're, you're a little uncertain, and, and then you, you seem to emerge fully formed.
1: I think the emerging might have been fully formed, but when I was on stage, I remember thinking, I gotta do this again, what is this? And then I just never stopped.
0: You are clearly, you have an academic mind. Mm. How many degrees do you have? <sighs> No, don't sigh deeply. No,
1: that, but I right mean, I have too. so many... Flaky Dump, degrees. Dumbass. No, no, like, okay. <laughs> so I've got two bachelor's degrees and then in, uh, one in political science and here PPE.
0: PPE mm. from Oxford.
1: Yeah. That's the only way my parents let me leave. I got a scholarship to Oxford from India, which... And my mom was like, okay, this is important. You go and you do it and you finish and come back. And then I have a master's degree from McGill. And then I have a master's degree from political science and the public policy one. So yeah. just a couple of like... Just, just five Whatever Five It's and, not relevant. I
0: mean, but you didn't manage to finish a PhD, no, I mean, so, so think a bit it of a failure failed or PhD fa- failure, failed yeah, academic is what, what I say. My mother used to say. Yeah. She
1: went to Oxford, then she failed her PhD. That's how she would tell failed people. Failed your PhD. Yeah, I failed it.
0: Yeah. Isn't it fantastic? But all of that suggests an extremely analytical mind. I was watching one bit of the material. I think it was from Sandhog, named because that was what Microsoft Word would
1: used to correct or to, or my name. To your
0: name and you did this bit of material on um the difference between you know getting know. married being a sprint and being married being a
1: marathon being married's a marathon
0: what struck me about it was it was almost as though you'd broken every element of the relationship down into something examined it turned it over and turned it into a joke but it was very analytical is that how your brain works
1: I think so I think sometimes I have these intuitions that I think are very comedic and then I write them down and I'm like no one wants to get to the end of this. Many, many people, much better than me, my mentors in comedy, have said, get to the punchline. Whereas I think the analysis is very funny.
0: The domesticity of the material. I found myself wondering whether the comic genius in all this is actually your late mother.
1: For sure. <laughs> For sure, absolutely.
0: What was her name? Because I know Krishna. she died in 2019. And it's Krishna. just saying your mother. Krishna. Krishna. So there's lines, you know. When you start hanging out with a bad lot?
1: If I'm dead, you'll be happy because you're such a terrible daughter. Like these <laughs> kinds of things, yeah.
0: You, you have a Christian voice as well, don't you? A very specific voice Yeah, Krishna. she's in
1: my head all the time and in my
0: heart. W- were, of course. Were those lines real or were they ones that you did a little bit of comic carpentry
1: No, on? no, no. They were real. The thing I did was translate because often they, in, they were in Hindi. They were in Hindi. They were in Hindi. And, uh, and my mother would translate them. So she would say things like, Tumharad means, are you being stupid? But my mother would say, has your brain gone rotten? I remembered those. I spent a lot of time with my mother because my elder sister had gone off to boarding school. And my mother was very strict. And she, you know, she used to think I was a bit of a joker. She was, you are non serious, you are a joker. I have to keep you tight. She came to see me. I did stand-up in India on a stage, big stage with lots of people and it was filmed because it was a bunch of comics and NDTV which is a big channel in India did it and I told them my mother was in the audience and they panned out to her and she was laughing. She had an incredible, my mother taught me to laugh at the darkest things and I do. My dark humor years haven't even emerged yet in my stand-up because she said when tragedy comes you can cry or you can laugh. Let me tell you laughing feels better. So that's kind of my motto. And so they, they panned out and she was laughing. And then afterwards, she said to me, when you're on stage, you're not like my daughter. You are like this incredible performer and I don't see you, Sindhu. She used to call me Chunya, which means little mouse. I don't see Chunya on stage. I see someone who was born to do this.
0: But then that must you... have been hugely gratifying. Huge. Important.
1: It wasn't important for me to continue comedy because I would never have stopped, but it was important to give me confidence. I feel like being a stand-up is something that I do, but it's also something that comes, that has come to me, that is a gift.
0: Are we pointing upwards when we talk about gifts?
1: Universe. Some sportu, what we call sportu. Ambika and I have a term sportu, supreme powers of the universe. Okay. Something like that, something outside of myself. This is not all just my hard work.
0: I mean, clearly, your love for your, your, your late Ma was very clear. She, she had a stroke in early 2019 and died roughly at the end of that year? End of November. Yeah. She is a comic creation on stage.
1: Yeah, her character is very strong, so I just bring it out on stage. Then people meet her and they're like, oh, shit, she's just like this. I'm like, I fucking told you, man. But I have I took Mom's comedy character and I contained it so that every time you meet her, you meet that. You don't meet any of the other bits of her because they're not necessary.
0: Actually, I'm going to hold off because I can see main courses approaching.
1: Yes. Oh my God. See best with kale, peats, and beurre blanc. And gumbo.
0: And gumbo. Oh gumber. my God. The crab rice there, which you need to put on the side there just to get a bit of- All right, I like, it when, I like it when I'm given orders.
1: There's <laughs> butter in this, right? That's why I ordered it, it had beurre. Which yeah, I know beurre blanc. I yeah. love butter. Such a fan of butter. Big fan of butter. Big, massive fan of butter.
0: Excellent, well I think all the best people are. <sighs> You know, when people cramp rice, rice with crab in it, I mean...
1: Go for it. Do you want some? No, thank you. I'm having butter. Okay. (laughs) There's
0: probably quite a lot of butter involved in mine as well. And at the the front of the recording of Sandhog, you do talk about your mother having a stroke. And I'm wondering whether you arrived at her hospital bed after her
1: significant stroke. First stroke, stroke, yeah.
0: Thinking, this is terrible, and I love my mother, and she is in distress, and material...
1: No, God, no. I think I arrived at my mother's hospital bed thinking, am I ready? When I arrived, they thought she was in a coma, and I was like, mm, I don't know. So I went and held her hand, and I whispered in her ear. I said, mommy, may I you? I've come. If you're here, squeeze my hand. And she squeezed my hand. I said to my dad, oh, she's still here. Months into her stroke, and she was better, and she was in physio, and we were talking, and she stopped talking to the side of her face, and was in a wheelchair, and she was gonna come here. I was in the shower, and I talked to myself a lot in the shower, especially about, like, ahead of a gig and stuff. I was going to do a show in Edinburgh in 2020, and it hit me what that show was. And I remember coming out of the shower, putting a towel, running downstairs to my office, wet, and sat down, and I wrote for 45 minutes, and I had a whole show. And it was called Stroke Me. And it was about strokes and love and anger and jokes and my mother and how completely colorist she was about dark skin, she didn't like dark skin, Indian dark skin, she was very fair. And I wrote and I called my very, very dear director who passed away this year, Paul Byrne. And I said, Paul, I got a show and it's called Stroke Me. And I wrote it all out and I was in the shower. And he said, are you still in the shower? And I said, I'm gonna call you from the shower, Paul. But yeah, I'm in a towel. He's like, I thought so, just go sort yourself out because he said, I can hear it in your voice. And then two months later, my mom died. And I was like, god damn, because now I'm not talking about this. Now I'm on another trip altogether. I've never correlated experiences with writing them down. At some point, I'll talk about it, but I don't think of it as writing them down.
0: So it takes a while to process stuff then. You, you were getting close to it in the introduction you do for Sandhog.
1: Yeah, and the stuff I said in the beginning of that was just because I really couldn't go back on stage and record a special and not mention what had happened. It's very hard, it was very hard for me to imagine being here without Mummy. I often wake up and think it's been two, two and a half years since Mummy said something new to me. I did a lot of things that were unusual for my family background, that were unusual for, at many levels. She saw me in a way that I was very dependent on.
0: But you have now immortalised her because the version of her lives on in your comedy.
1: And in my head. Well, of course. Yeah.
0: But the thing on stage is uh, another version, isn't
1: it? Yeah. I speak less and less about Mummy uh, as a comedy character because everything I said about Mom used to be happening. You know, so when I'm done talking about those months in the hospital, I, I don't know what I will say because there's nothing been happening since November 2019.
0: Almost feels like a for me to say, but you're about to go on tour.
1: Well, I, alphabet? I, almost done with the Alphabet.
0: Are you almost done? Almost done, well. You've still got a load of dates.
1: I do, but here's the thing. So, can I
0: make it clear for the recording? You still have a load of dates and go on to. Do you have a yeah. website?
1: Well, yes, I have a website, Sindubi.com. So Alphabet, very different show. Oh my gosh, so different. The bulk of those dates will now be in Edinburgh.
0: By the way, how is your sea bass? Mm. It's called out to lunch. so I It's do feel it. so
1: good. And actually, I detest kale. But it turns out I don't detest wilted kale bathed in butter. This kale I love. I've never had more excellent kale.
0: Butter tends to ameliorate most things.
1: Oh, so life. good.
0: My gumbo, actually, what's really interesting is just how... I, don't, I hate the word authentic. Because
1: your gumbo authentic.
0: My, uh, no, my gumbo is very good, is what I'd say, which is not always the same as authentic. This sounds like a really blunt question, but have you had things that haven't worked? Shows that haven't sold? <laughs> have you done Three, three Men and a Dog in Wigan?
1: Oh my God, my first few Edinburghs, I was like, there was a husband, wife, and their teenage daughter in a 2 p.m. show in Edinburgh. They all hated each other, but more than that, they all hated me. <laughs> it was horrific. I've been booed off stage in India. I died on stage, 300 people telling me to fuck off back where you came from. I'm like, what? I'm literally from this city.
0: <laughs> where, where they perceived you? Because
1: the promoter put me on saying, oh, here's someone who left India to move to Britain. And they were like, fuck you, bitch, because in India, we don't like that. And I was like, no, no, I didn't move there on purpose. Sorry. you know. It was an accident. There were aunties in the front saying, your language is so bad. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? A man jumped on stage, picked, got a shoe and said, this is my mic, I'm funnier than her, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, I had to do 20 minutes, I did 17. Horrible. By and large, people I have experienced don't come to me and say racist shit to me. They say shit to me that's, you're not funny, or aren't you ashamed of yourself talking about your husband and he can't defend himself. It's like, what?
0: What about TV producers? Are they racist? Uh, Well, London Hughes was a classic one who basically said... I'm off, I'm going to America because I'm never going to make it here and has gone on to have a very successful career.
1: And she knows what you're talking about, yeah. It has not been the easiest thing in the world to sell them an idea that doesn't have as its premise that I'm Indian. When I've tried to write things in which I'm just a woman who was an ex-banker, you know, and there's nothing in it about my race, they're like, yeah, but what about and it's like, dude, I don't walk around feeling Indian. I walk around feeling like an ex-banker. You, you would never ask a white woman, why is there no more race in this? In America, that's not such a problem.
0: Because everything is...
1: Because South Asians, they have a totally different yeah. uh, standing. I wrote something and it was considered too, you know, she's she's too well off.
0: Oh, is that the problem?
1: One of the problems. She's too well off. She's not nice. She's like, who the fuck are you talking about? You think every Indian is selling is Appu? Selling newsagent shit? What are you talking about? Appu from uh, The Simpsons, you mean. Great guy. You know what I mean? So that's taking some time. There's not been a lot of people here who have been ex-bankers who are Indian women married to Danes.
0: In comedy. So basically, you you have brilliantly cornered the market in ex-banker Indian Indian women women married 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 to Scandinavians. I'm here. You've moved into acting as well. I have. Did that take you by surprise? Because that is a different discipline. <laughs> There's one thing to be on stage and be a version of you and your family. Um, you're in uh, Rose Star Starstruck. You're in Sex Education. By the way,
1: can I just say shout-out to Rose? I love her so much.
0: Everybody loves Rose. I love Rose. She, she was on early in this series. Oh, she's
1: done this? Yeah, she's okay. done this. She's, I, I just love Rose.
0: She ate with her hands. Of um, course
1: she did. <laughs> but depends what she ate. She did not eat grilled sea bass with her hands, did she?
0: No, we had a big pork knuckle. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was good.
1: Yum. Should we take a look at the desserts? 100% absolutely yes.
0: Let's get Clinton over. Are you gluten-free? I'm not celiac. No.
1: No, my Ayurveda told me to get off gluten. Oh. If there's one thing I am, it's extremely shallow and very vain about my looks, okay? And my hair was starting to fall out, and I was like, what the fuck is, this is no, this is not happening. They all said one thing. They said, can get it. off gluten.
0: Okay, we have, we've got sorbets today because of your gl- gluten. Uh,
1: even he has to have sorbet, poor him. No, 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 no. no. Oh, you're having I'm, the no, I'm having all, all the gluten.
0: Or your, like these three are all yours, sorbets. We've got um, tropical um, peach, which is absolutely stunning. And uh, we've also got mixed berry.
1: Which one do you suggest? Peach,
0: stunning. I'd actually just suggest, suggest all three of them, but that's... <laughs>
1: Okay, let's have a scoop of each, and then I can decide what I like better. And I'll have the praline bread pudding. (gasps) That's shameful. Shameful? I it's shameful Shameful. for me. Shameful for me that I can't eat it. Well, you can just What is my life, shit life? Okay, it's, it's fine. I'm going to feel so much better with my hair on my head. The acting. The acting.
0: When you were first asked, which was the first part you were offered? Was it sex education or...?
1: I was in Wyoming, and I got a phone call from Deborah Francis White, and she said... Hi, darling. How are you doing? I've written a movie and there's this role I want you to read for. So can you send me a self-tape? I was like, what do those words mean? I don't, what are you talking so about? So this is
0: Deborah Francis Wright. Is the host of the Guilty Feminist the podcast.
1: Amazing host of the Guilty Feminist and podcast. has
0: also been on this podcast.
1: So she asked me to do a self-tape and this, I didn't know what it was, what, what it meant, but we did it in Wyoming. I was in a bathrobe. My husband held up the camera and it was for a police officer. Her name was Inspector Raj. And I was in Deborah's movie. She'd written a movie and that was the first time I was around, like, big cameras and this and that. It was in Wales, I remember. Had a great time. Didn't really do much, but basically shit myself the whole time and forget all my lines, which were things like, look at this. I couldn't get it. I was like, Ugh. "So that was that. I still didn't think I would ever act. And then I think, to be honest, the next thing was May Martin asked me to read for a the part of Pathological Liar uh, in Narcotics Anonymous called Karen in her show Feel Good. I loved that role. I was like, oh, this is a good character. And I think then I was like, I have to act. But they were like, no, just be you. And I got that, and then I did Starstruck.
0: Did you phone people up who were friends of yours who are actors and say, how do I do this? I or didn't did you any, decide to wing
1: it? I had no friends who were actors. I called May and said, the fuck is going on? She was like, just come read. That, that's it. It was not until I got my first part in a film, film, big film, that I was like, I don't, but what is happening? And then I got an acting coach and had some... Sp-
0: so you did get an acting coach in the end?
1: Well, I did for that because I was like, I don't even know what is this. Like, it's not that the role scared me. It was like, someone talked to me about acting if I'm going to be in this film.
0: And which film was this? Was this Matilda? It's or- Matilda. Which is the, the film adaptation of the Tim Minchin co-written musical, which is, if you've not seen it on stage, it's brilliant. Mm. And I'm delighted to doing it. it. It has to be said, with the most extraordinary cast. It's
1: such a great cast, right?
0: It's Emma Thompson Matthew playing. And Matthew is
1: the director. Yeah, from the Old Vic. Old Vic.
0: An amazing collection of people.
1: I don't like saying no to work. I say yes to a lot of things. This year, by the way, is my year of saying no. So. Well, thank you for coming. <laughs> this was, this was great. There was a great lunch involved. I was okay. like, sure, I'll come. That's not true. So I don't like saying no to things. I've said no to more acting things than I've said yes to. When you come to see me uh, do stand-up, you see me. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm not trying to break down anyone's idea of a stereotype or not. I mean, I don't think stand-up's job is to change your mind about anything. It's to make you laugh. But in acting, when you get roles that you think it's like an Indian who is be, behaving in some way that everyone else will think is normal, I've never seen it before, then I have to say no. You know, you have to do stuff you want to do. And I feel like I don't want to really do that. So some of that stuff I've said no to.
0: Which sort of brings me to a, a closing question, which is a, a big one. Which oh, is, God. Are, are you representing a whole group or are you only representing
1: yourself? Well, there's what I think I'm doing and then there's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I think... My own idea is that I want to go on stage and make people laugh. That is the beginning and end of everything. I don't do it as an Indian woman. I don't do it as anything else but Sindhu. You become somehow a representation by virtue of being a, in public. So that is happening. There's nothing I can do to change that or control it.
0: Oh, sorbet. sorbet.
1: Sorbet with a beautiful leaf of... What is this leaf made of? Well,
0: well so. Michael D'Angelo, the chef, has just turned up. So oh, hi,
1: thank it's you. A, it's a leaf made with fig twill. Oh. It's proper fig, wow. and then we cook as as slowly, until it becomes crisp. I love that.
0: And mine has is- many parts to it, clearly.
1: I'm going to eat the chocolate bit of that, OK? OK, just
0: now FYI. that's fine. What's, what's on this bit? It's a little sort of, is that chocolate?
1: This one is um, a twill of Crocodile, our logo. Yep. Made with a classic flour, egg white, oh, and uh, sorry. some butter. And that? That's a New Orleans praline.
0: New Orleans praline.
1: Yes, with pecan pie and whipped sugar. It's amazing, it's the best.
0: And is, is there a jelly underneath it, or is it a... Broth? No,
1: it's a creme anglaise.
0: Oh, creme anglaise. Yes. Okay, it's custard.
1: No, 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 no. I know what that yeah, is. Inside there is a
0: croissant. All right. Yes. So it's not
1: this this is so amazing. Thank you. Chef, this is amazing. Thank you, it's a whipped cream, I know. boil it for 20 minutes until you get this color and then add some bacon on top. He's saying that like I'm gonna go home and make it. I'm just gonna come back here and be like, please give me some. Oh, come on, you're an
0: overachiever. You can work that out. (laughs) Michael, thank you very much. Thank you
1: so much, Michael.
0: As we get into our dessert, so what really remains me to say is Sindhu V, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch.
1: Any time, Jay. Any time? Any time.
0: OK. I should probably get Rose and Deborah back first, and then you can have another crack at it.
1: I don't think that's necessary, but if you want to, sure, knock yourself up.
0: All right. <laughs> Thank you, Sindhu. What an absolute delight and much love to all at Louis London, that's spelled L-O-U-I-E London, uh, in Soho, for hosting us on their day off. Uh, Go to sindhuv.com, S-I-N-D-H-U-V-E-E.com to find her podcasts, radio shows, TV shows and the forthcoming live run at the Edinburgh Festival. If you loved our show, well, please do follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do share this with your friends and friends of friends. Also, comment, give us five stars, you know it makes sense. Uh, Out to Lunch is a Something Else in Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and... Robert Rickenberg The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon and the mix engineer John Scott Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken The producer is Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris Next time it's the grime artist turned BAFTA winning celebrity chef and broadcaster it's Big Zoo The other thing I hate Mushroom Oh my god Fungus from the ground <laughs> Why do I need this?